Nobody puts baby in the corner. Swatch. What? How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. And what's it gonna do? It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Bueller. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Hello and welcome to Living in the 80s. I'm Rob and I am very happy you all joined us today. I have a very special guest. So you guys maybe have heard me drop the name John Noss a couple times. Faithful listener, he's a co-worker and um, he, he will do a lot of stuff when he's, he's doing his yard work. So, again, we're co-workers. We talk very regularly. Haven't seen each other since pre-COVID because of the way our employer kind of has positioned <laughs> yes. itself. That Our employer that we shall remain nameless. Yes. No, um, no mention. No mention. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, John, a very faithful listener, and we were talking. I'm like, I have to have you on the podcast sometime. And then knowing the topic he would pick would be sports-related. So, John, Absolutely. welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. I uh, I feel like I'm sitting in a very special chair here. I've I've listened to a lot of great moments out there on the lawnmower that have happened in here. This is a very big moment for yes, me. Yes, a lot a lot of greats have sat <laughs> yes. where you're sitting right now. Feels feels special. So, thank you for having me. It's, it's anytime, quite exciting. Anytime. <laughs> We're here today to talk football. It is. I'm so almost excited. here. <laughs> I. It, it's odd. So. First, my personal journey. Yes, I've been a football fan since I was a kid. Uh, I played played pee wee football, and I didn't know that you I, played pee wee football. Pee wee football. Oh man, what did you play? When, what I was a. Is there positions in pee wee football? There are positions. I was a linebacker. Oh dang! All right. And <laughs> and I was a I was a guard. Oh, which was funny because I was a very small kid. But you know, every plays a handoff to the running back anyway. So as long as he goes over the side where the bigger kids are. I'm just I'm just eye candy, yes. so I started doing that. Never played any organized football after that. I regrettably I should have. Uh, I was I was a little undersized when I was younger, so I was afraid to get crushed. I wish now I would have just taken that chance. So life's full of regrets. That's mine. I didn't play football, <laughs> but I've always been a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I always would play backyard football with the guys in the neighborhood. Even as an adult, I still played flag football and just loved mm-hmm. it. And so being a fan just about my whole life, uh, the 80s I remember very fondly. Because mm-hmm. uh, late 70s, early 80s, I collected football cards, traded them with the kids in the neighborhood. And uh, like those, I, I couldn't wait for the weekend so I can watch football all weekend. And some of those things haven't changed. You still got the cards? No, I sold oh, them. Man. I sold them with my baseball cards all in like a, a lot. Just all together, and I Man. got probably ten percent what I should have got. <laughs> uh, so again, another. <laughs> but it was, I'm sorry, it, I mean to yeah, it was like it was like the late '80s by that time, and it was gas money. That's fair. So yeah. I got you. Yeah. So what about you? Tell us about your your fandom. So I have the weird title of uh, Detroit, Michigan Buckeye. Yes. Uh, I do tell. Yes, I grew up in uh, a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. Um, but to two parents who came from Ohio, I was born in Ohio, um, both Michigan and Ohio, very, uh, depressed professional football states. They both have difficulty 
getting through the fall season in professional football. So really, I was a Buckeye and yeah. um, always been a Buckeye. Did you ever get any grief back home? Like, oh, yeah. Orchard Wolverine yeah. fan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I lived right down the street from the big house, too. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It was awesome. I, I say living <laughs> in Michigan as a Buckeye is almost more fun than living in Columbus as a Buckeye. Because, you're, especially when they're good. You're yeah. you're like the bad guy in yeah. wrestling. Like when Hulk Hogan yeah. joined the you're NWO. The yeah, yes. you're the heel. You're like just people throwing garbage and, <laughs> and stale produce at you. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. It was, it was incredible. It nice. was fun. Um, and really, my childhood... Uh, my professional team and still is today is the Cleveland Browns. Again, right. troubled franchise history. At one point, they were not even a team. Yes. And um, my father, who lived through the infamous moments like Red Right '88, and you know, uh, the drive, the drive, <laughs> and which we'll talk a little bit about. Yes, <laughs> um, kind of made some tepid fans out of us. Right. But what it really drove me into the NFL was because I would see these, you know, college players because I really got into college football. I love college football. Me too. And I'd see these guys come out of college and it would be um, incredible to watch the number one pick come out and have a mediocre season. And then you'd have the, the, you know, the pick round five come mm-hmm. out there and... I mean, just light it up. You see un- and, undrafted yeah. Tom Brady yes, yeah. come and become... From Michigan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> actually from California. Yes, but so. they claim him like he grew up in Kalamazoo. Yeah, uh, it's, and, it's, and it's like weird. he had a great college yeah. career yeah, there. Yeah, he won <laughs> he one didn't. Rose Bowl. It's a whole thing. Trust me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it, it was fascinating to me to kind of see that because I always love the underdog. Like, I do like Tom Brady for that because he went so far down. It was yeah. just a, it was a leap of faith. And if he didn't win so much, he'd be pretty likable. Yeah. 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 And if, yeah. He's got a supermodel wife and all yeah. this money and his cars. <laughs> yeah. So I became more, you know, obviously Cleveland's my team, but I became more of a fan of the NFL in general. Right. Just because I liked following, uh, the sport in general sure. and following uh, my first professional sports game was a Cleveland Browns game. Sure. So it was right towards as the NFL was becoming the predominant sport, you know, right. baseball was waning. You had the end of the steroid era where things were starting to get a little messy with baseball and, and the NFL, I mean, they were ready to swoop in and with these big names of big stars. Oh, they and, did too. And, and the that, marketing arm of the NFL is amazing. I, Looking into NFL films and yes. just how they drilled money and time and energy into this idea of creating these like modern day titans, these oh, like yeah. these muscle men. It was a muddy yeah. day in Green Bay, <laughs> and you got that yes. music going behind it. I mean that that that's a cultural phenomenon, and it is. that's what drove me in. And I'm a stats guy. I'm a nerd guy. I like you know going in and seeing these things in, in the NFL. Uh, always drew me in like that so when you got a fandom like cleveland where you're you're done watching by november you know you might as well watch the whole league yes (laughs) gotta and and that's kind of what brought me into that and you go to detroit and you can't watch there either so yeah (laughs) so one of the the very cool things because i john and i have worked together for probably three or four years now when we early on you know as you as you get these these people that you work with, you kind of get to know them a little bit, get to mm-hmm. know their personality and so forth. So early on, John had told me that he is a Detroit Tigers fan, baseball team. 
and he began to tell me how he listens to their sports talk show every day. I'm like, this guy is not just a novice fan. This guy knows what he's doing. So a lot of our conversations have gone around sports and fantasy mm-hmm. football and yep. things like that. So we're going to we're going to talk all football today. Yeah. So uh we will be right back. Uh we're going to we're going to go through first thing we're going to do is we're going to go through your list of who you picked as the uh your favorite NFL players of the 80s. But, but before we get to all of that, uh it it's so weird with covid happening because mm-hmm. right now is the time that i am watching crappy preseason games oh yeah i am i am ready like getting all my fantasy football stuff together and like last night i did my first fantasy draft and it was terrible like i i really? I, I, I picked I, the, my first i had the seventh pick oh. and i picked derrick henry like i, I typically go running back first and he was like the best of what was left, but in hindsight, I probably would have, should have went Nick Chubb, but I didn't. So anyhow, it being such an odd season, here's something I need to talk about and get off my chest. Uh-oh. I am angry that there is no Big Ten football. Oh boy, don't you want to do this? Let's do this because <laughs> there is. Listen, I am aware, and I am very uh cognizant of the 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 whole uh situation in the world right now i watched two games this morning before i went into work i watched both 2018 and 2019 ohio state michigan games and i had the same reaction that i did that day I mean, my father and me, every year, sit down and watch that game. It's like a moment. Right. And I thought about that, and I was like, first of all, that's going to happen in October, which just doesn't feel right. But secondly, it just feels like a little bit of, it's being taken away. And it's like... Everything's taken away. It's It does... Baseball 60 games, there's the designated hitter in both leagues, nothing feels right. Yeah. I, and it's... Oh, and, no, no fans in the stands? No. That and, piped in fan <sighs> crowd noise? And... Which I usually can block out, but sometimes it annoys me. I've told this story, and I know we're talking NFL, but the number one most incredible live thing I've ever been at. Mm-hmm. Last year, my wife and I, with a couple members of our family, went to the last game, the Penn State, last home game, Penn State, oh. Ohio State. Oh, nice. A college football game when there is something on the line, sleeting, hailing, and man, the place is just rocking. There's nothing like it. Right. I can't imagine. I can imagine baseball because spring training, you know, it's not quite the same. Right. Preseason football is the same thing. I cannot imagine college football coming back with no fans. Um, the, the tailgating experience, the tailgate, like ESPN game so, days yeah. out there, Fox's oh, big shows yeah, out there. All three of them were out yeah, there. Yeah, everybody's there. And it just, it was incredible. Yeah. And and it just, it's like, I'm like, do I want it back? No. Oh. No, no. I mean like, do I want it back without fans? Because oh. I, I don't want it back without fans. I, I do. I, I want to see you the guys. You would take it back without fans? Yes, I want to see the guys play. Hmm. Because, that yes, that would be missing an element of the game. But... The fact that they're playing the game and, and the Buckeyes, you know, those of you listening around the country, around the world, um, I, I'm a huge. The Ohio State Buckeyes football team is my favorite sports team, more than the 49ers, more than the Reds, more than the Blue Jackets. It is 
Ohio State Buckeyes. They're one A for me. Yeah, and and they, them, they have so much, such a promising potential year, so much they could do. I I can accept the fact that there's no fans. I can accept the fact there's no tailgating, and some of that experience is not there. But I'm going to watch football. Yeah. I don't want to watch Ole Miss playing Vanderbilt. I don't want to. Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to watch. Pitt playing Boston College. Ducky dogs? I don't want to watch Baylor playing TCU. Uh, that one, might, that one might be frogs, kind of interesting. Man, I love TCU. <laughs> that might be a little interesting. But it, it's I, I want I want football. And, yeah, and I get it. It's I, not the full experience, but, but if, nothing is. If right those now. Yeah. if those people down south can play football, we should be able to play football. The NFL's playing. Today, our governor said, high school football, you can yeah. play if you want to. Yep, they did. And they did. so if high schools can play with, with a lot less medical personnel available, with a lot less um, ability to test the players and things like that, why in the world can't these these universities with these multi-bazillion dollar TV contracts and all this money they have to sink into the program and the health care and the well-being of the players, why in the world can't they be playing? And... Those of you who don't live inside Ohio, our quarterback who transferred in and we've adopted the yeah. uh, fields. He's one of ours now. He's one of ours. He started a petition that he wants to play this year. And they had a it, quarter million it, yeah. people in one day. And I, you know what? You I was one have, of them. <laughs> you might have talked me into it. You might. This is power this persuasion. Is, this is polite discourse. This is what that sounds like. Yes. I think you might have talked me into it because I just had a hard time because college football is that one thing, man. It's about the it's, pageantry. It, it is just you, the yes. band goes out there. It is just there's something different about it. But, man, it's going to stink. Yeah. And, and, and they already got the schedule screwed up. The schedule looks atrocious. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, Michigan's being played before Halloween, yeah. which just means that. That, that, that should still yeah. be the last game no matter uh, what. No matter so, what, that should be the last game. Whether that last game is November 1st or December 1st, yeah. that needs to be the last game. But uh, you know what? At this point, I'll take it. Yeah. Like, okay. I, so, might, yeah. so the question is, if if Ohio State is playing Penn State and they're both undefeated and the game's 35-31 with three minutes to go, Buckeyes are down, driving down the field, you mean tell me you wouldn't watch that? Oh, absolutely! There no, absolutely. No, that's what I said. <laughs> I said you're, I'm on board with you. I yep. because I still watching a YouTube clip of a game. I know the result to. I watched the Penn State game where they were down by I yeah. think 15 with the fourth quarter. What was that? Two years ago? Yeah, that was the gray out game. And they, and they came out. And, and they came out, and it was J, uh, JT Barrett. I think it was who that mm-hmm. was. I still get the same reaction mm-hmm. because football. For America is just it's a different it hits differently for some reason when when those moments happen and I think you're yep. right I would tune in yeah if I knew that was happening I would tune in yep and uh, man it's just the whole thing screwed up I'm just I'm and like I said I enjoy watching Michigan if I could watch Michigan lose on a loop for the rest of my life, every hour of every day. Watching Jim Harbaugh with that sad look on his face after, you know, he 
came to you in in San Francisco and and you know you know I was happy to see him go. <laughs> I, I was happy when he came from Stanford. Very promising. Got him to a Super Bowl. Yeah. But for some reason, he it's decided so, Kaepernick should be in there instead of Alex Smith. I wore my khakis for that, <laughs> so you could who could feel it. <laughs> who who would have? I think Alex Smith had a better chance of winning that Super Bowl than Colin Kaepernick did. Down. Uh, never mind. I can go on and on yeah. about that all day. But I um, could watch him lose all day. Yes, I could too. And so. I, I saw something today, a friend of mine posted that uh, a Big Ten insider said the feeling within the ranks is we screwed this up. They acted quick. Yeah. They were the first conference to do it. Well, they, I think they thought everyone else was going to jump on board if they did. The but Pac, that's typical. Pac-12, they're a bunch of sushi-eating, Starbucks-drinking, okay. USC's, whatever. let's talk about living in the 80s. Let's talk about <laughs> USC, right? Um, <laughs> no, I mean... The Big Ten, that's typical Big Ten. They yep. think that they are, which they are, they still have the standard-bearing yeah. teams, but, I mean, like, nobody in the SEC cares if Purdue's playing football this year. Let's nope. be honest. And, nope. and <laughs> Let's be honest with people in Big Ten don't care <laughs> if Purdue's Purdue playing football. football. They want to see and Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, Penn every State other year. Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think that they realized that they didn't have the cachet that they thought they did to come out and say, we're not playing football this year. And then, you know, the Big 12 goes, yes, sir, we're coming right behind you. And the SEC is like, there ain't no way. We're, oh, yeah. we're well, that's then, a whole Then the ACC is like, we'll do what they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because the ACC has garbage. nothing. Yeah. And, they've got Clemson and nothing. And I really do think, too, that um, – my unpopular opinion, and it's been an unpopular opinion for a while, is that the Big Ten needs to go expanding into Big 12 territory anyways. And I think they were trying to sniff out, seeing if Oklahoma or Texas would would opt out of the season two, and yeah. then they could start talking about... Because Oklahoma and Texas are kind of sitting by themselves out there in Big 12 country, and yeah. I think Big Ten's always had them kind of on their radar ever since Notre Dame fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. I was kind of hoping yeah. when they expanded and added um, Nebraska. No, uh, oh. Nebraska's fine. Um, when they added Rutgers and uh, Maryland, oh. I thought, you know, this would be a great time for somebody like Missouri to come mm-hmm. aboard. Geographically makes sense. I would have taken West Virginia. Those would have been two great additions to it's the a great place to watch football. But a, a lot yeah. of it, I guess a lot of it is uh, based upon academic standards and things like that. So there's very. I, I did air quotes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but you know the, the the standards there are they're part of some kind of council society whatever. It's the academic excellence council or something. Yes. Yeah, so and, and a lot of those schools um, don't live up to the that that criteria. So anyway, I, I digress. But yeah. but yeah, it's uh, I, I'm just ready. I'm ready. Yeah, and I think it's tough because. You know, we're going to talk about, like, NFL guys. And, and, mm-hmm. and when I'm thinking about this once-in-a-century situation that we're in and how you know, I, I would have no idea how this would play out, you know, how many – you know, you got your Justin Fields, you got these once these talents that are coming through here. Mm-hmm. What this is doing to the NFL stream of talent, what this is doing right. – I mean, this is – like I said, it's once-in-a-century. Re- about century. recruiting? Yeah. Like- they're not going on recruiting trips. Yeah, well, well yeah, not and, only that, but these yeah. kids that are thinking Ohio State are going, geez, the first time a flu bug hits, they're going to cancel yeah. a season. And, so it's, and they already had a couple transfer out. So, yeah, so. Uh, I'm, 
I'm, I think you talked me into it. Okay, I, I'm it. impressed. Well, I wasn't. I folded real easily there. You did. <laughs> Next, and living the '80s, John decides he's voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> so, if you know John at all, that that'll never happen. No, probably not. <laughs> so, all right. So, we'll be right back after this talking '80s NFL. Thank you for listening to Living in the '80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Anchor for providing this platform for us to share this podcast. We also want to thank Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Tuned In Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out at our website at livinginthe80s.us and, of course, on our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Thanks, and back to the show. There's nothing like being in the NFL, so get in the action. Come on, get into it. Now you're in the NFL when you get into the NFL Pro Line, because now with the NFL Pro Line, you can get the real thing. The same equipment Mike Ditka and all the rest of the NFL coaches use, the tools of the trade. Coaches' shirts and shorts by bike. Coaches' cap by sports specialties. Same one I wear. Sweater by Cliff Angle. That's my sweater. And the starter jacket, custom tailored, custom designed. It's a new coach. You could be next. Look for the authentic NFL Pro Line. Okay, get into it. NFL Pro Line, get into it. For your NFL Pro Line catalog, send $1 with your name and address to 6921 Preston Road, Dallas, Texas, 75205. NFL Pro Line, get into it. So we are back, and we are going to get on with this list, this much-anticipated list. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to name the the, the first few here that um, didn't quite make the top ten. We'll kind of talk about them a little bit, some a little more than others. But um, when you hear the results here, some of them might be some head-scratchers. I was like, very surprised. Yes. <laughs> like uh, like this this last one received one vote because it must be um, Ed Pollock voted for Fred Marion. It must be his, his relative or something. Played for the Patriots. Played for the Patriots. He's a defensive back. Made the Pro Bowl one year. That's all we know. I had to actually look him up. I could his see picture's who not he on, was. His picture's not on Pro Football Reference. No, so it's not. So I don't even know who he looks like. But, so I'm sorry. But, you know, hey, good for him. <laughs> These other guys, everybody else on this list you've probably heard of. So uh, uh, the next one's Lawrence Taylor. Everybody remembers Lawrence Taylor. Hopefully not just for the excessive drug use. Oh, boy. He was a phenomenal <laughs> yeah. player. Um, yep. Played for the Giants. uh they won a couple Super Bowls with him Two on that, Super Bowls, on that yeah. defense. He was he was a beast. He he was a ten time Pro Bowler, um, MVP. Which yeah. in you know as we dig a little deeper into the eighties, one of the biggest things about the 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 era is just how many of those um, non quarterback 
players got MVP awards. It's, yeah. it's much more common in the 80s for that award to go to a non-quarterback. Yeah, which, which wide is, receiver yep. or running back. Yeah, quarterback still got it, but yeah. it's seeing defensive guys get it. But Lawrence Taylor was was yeah. was awesome. My my one Lawrence Taylor memory that I remember more than any other is when Joe Theismann broke his leg, and Lawrence Taylor. They were playing the Giants. Redskins were playing the Giants. If you guys haven't seen it and you have and you don't have a weak stomach, just YouTube Joe Theismann leg, and it is one of the ugliest breaks you've ever seen, and. Lawrence Taylor is he is signaling to the Redskins bench to come out and he is like jumping up and down frantic and it's like he looked like a panicky kid that just saw a car accident. Mm-hmm. He was just beside himself. So that out of all of his great accolades, that's the one thing I remember the most. And that comes up like when 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 you look at him as a player, that comes up almost as much as him being in the Hall of Fame. Yes. That that one moment. Yeah. And which is sad because he has a pretty distinguished career and he yeah. was defensive player of the year, you know, rookie of the year. And that's what you're remembered for is that one moment. And boy, I, you know, first of all, I was surprised too. He's, he was only 237 pounds. He's a linebacker. I mean, that's, that's small now by, 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 yeah, it's, it's kind of modern day standards. And, but man, players are a lot bigger now than they were back then. Dominating. Yeah. Uh, and the New the, York Giants had a, wicked defense. I mean, we're going to talk about some other defenses because the 80s were dominated by it, but they yep. uh, he fit in really well with yes. their defensive scheme, especially um, in 81 through about 86 was kind of where he hit his stride. Right. And speaking of defense, our next guy, Howie Long. Boy, Howie Long. He, <laughs> I, he was... He was- he was a beast too. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of people, I guess, now know him. He's more of a television personality. He's, yes. he's kind of taken over. He's one of those. We were talking about a couple other guys who were like that. He actually was a very impressive player in and of its own right too. Well, and he had a couple sons play mm-hmm. in the NFL. I mean, he's yeah. um, he won Super Bowl, um, but eight time Pro Bowler. So I mean, he was, right. and uh, he. Again, now that he was 268 pounds, so I mean, again, that's he was a little bigger, big. Um, uh, oh, uh, when they were in Oakland by that time, but Oakland Raiders, and that is one of the defenses that I'll highlight a little bit more as we sure. go forward because they, they were a staunch defense of the 80s, but um, he really stood out, especially in a line that was already. Uh, stellar, yes, um, and then kind of turned that stardom into a pretty impressive TV career. He's mm-hmm. uh, done well for himself. So, yep. Uh, our next guy, Jim Kelly. This one surprised me a bit. My 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 my, my friend Jim Yacht Rock Lawler is, is the one who put him up. Jim's a big uh, Buffalo Bills fan, but he's he's right. Jim Kelly was a stud, and. That's my fault because Jim Kelly, to me, and he always stood for the four falls Losing of Buffalo. Four Super Bowls. Sorry about that, uh, Mr. Lawler, but um, he, it always stood out as a, as a '90s character. You know, that was early '90s when the Buffalo Bills were who we knew them as back then. But really, if we're looking at '80s players, he was a very. He was selected to Pro Bowl twice mm-hmm. in the '80s. Um, he went twelve and four in, in eighty eight, 
and had a completion rate of almost uh, 60%, which his career high was 64%. And that was only a couple of years later. So, I mean, he was a very high-level 80s player. Oh, yeah. Um, he just reached his zenith right at the beginning of the 90s, which is where I was associating with him incorrectly. Yeah. Um, but I always liked Jim Kelly. He was always a very personal guy. Every, I would say that Gordon yeah. Gecko haircut, yeah, that slick that's back That's the picture thing, I'm right? seeing of him yeah. with, the tur- with the little Bill's turtleneck. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I always liked him. I always wished he got a better shake because by the end of the – by that fourth Super Bowl, man, the Buffalo Bills were just – they were disliked. People just were tired of seeing them in the Super yeah. Bowl. They didn't want to see them lose again. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I was pulling for them on those Super Bowls. Yeah. I, and I think as I look back – I think every one of those Super Bowls, I was pulling for the Bills to win, to finally win. Cause you got like Jim Kelly and Andre Reid and Bruce mm-hmm. Smith, and then Marv Levy being the coach. It's like these were all pretty likable guys. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And to see them get up there every year and <sighs> lose, it's like, oh my goodness. And it was always. Yeah, and it'd be one rough. thing if it was like a, you know, one of those quarterbacks with like a. Like a cocky attitude, like Jimmy McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he was just—he's a family guy. He was likable. He had some good health Christian issues, guy. Health issues later down the Wa- road. Watch, watching him gracefully go through his his uh, sickness over the last yeah. several years, he, I mean, he'd done it with a lot of grace, and mm-hmm. and it's just—he really endeared himself to a lot of people. That even people that maybe don't remember him as much as a player, because I mean, he retired in '96. That's twenty four years ago. I, I could not believe. It. I know it's just like <laughs> that's dead. that really How happened twenty four years ago. So it, a lot of the people that are that are sports fans now don't know him as a player. They just know him as this guy. But you know what a great testimony he's had, um, and and how he, like I said, how gracefully handled that. So yeah, good for Jim Kelly. Yeah. Um, I think he deserves a much higher ranking on our list. One Super Bowl would have gotten him it right to the top. Yes. Yeah, speaking of top. which. This Uh-oh. guy, this next guy, um, lost some Super Bowls in the '80s too. He is uh, one of your favorites, Mister to, ha- to hate, <laughs> John Elway. Oh, uh, he is the, number seven, Mister Ed. He is the um, one of the banes of the Cleveland psyche. Um, <laughs> yes, the drive. Uh, it it hurts uh, when you think about it, but. I was actually surprised at how far down he was on this list. Um, well, you know, you got to think, though, uh, the people voting here, um, again, we're we're based out of Ohio, so mm-hmm. I know a lot of my friends probably, well, you know, it's funny, probably only about a, a third of the people on this list are people that I know personally, uh, you know, in our group of the, mm-hmm. you know, 1,300. But uh, I know a lot of people around here despise him and they don't want to think of him on any best of any list so they i was gonna say are they i thought you were gonna say a third of them are browns fans and i was gonna say that that's the only amount that'll admit that because it's not a very popular (laughs) thing to be um but i mean so john elway i'll talk a little bit about him later made my uh part of my all decade list for the 80s because as much as i dislike him for what he did he was one of the most prolific quarterbacks in terms of just uh, completion percentage, uh, yards thrown. I mean, he was averaging over, you know, 20 touchdowns a season. Um, I think it was like 
almost he, 60 to 70% of his of his career. I mean, he yeah. was even when he went 5 and 11, he had 15 touch. I mean, he was he was really dominant. He stayed mm-hmm. with Denver and was he's now the GM. Yeah, now he's the GM. I mean, he really the, the is The guy threw for 300 touchdown passes in his career. That's incredible. He won two Super Bowls. Mhm. Uh lost three. Yes. So that's why I didn't have him as high in my list is because they weren't they were later in his career. Right. So I, I'm basing yeah, this. I, in the I especially remember the 49ers beating him 55 to 10. You should 29. see the look on Rob's face right now. Oh he's my. got it's he just he just rubbed his hands a little bit, got all excited. <laughs> oh my goodness! It was funny because I'm watching that game, and you know it was supposed to be a close game. You know after what they had done to Cleveland in the AFC Championship why, game. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> But but I, I'm I remember watching that game anticipating this close game, but by the by you know two thirds of the way through the game I'm like okay, Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Roger Craig, Brent Jones, uh, every all these offensive players have all scored touchdowns. Like every offensive weapon scored at least one touchdown, and you know they, they had seven touchdowns that game. <laughs> So it was pretty amazing. Which we don't see that. It's a nice beating. You don't see that in Super Bowls anymore. You don't see beat downs like that. They're a lot closer in the last few recent years. And boring. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That that one with the Rams. Oh. Oh, my. The Rams and Patriots. I know exactly where I was sitting for that. And my wife left about five minutes into the game. She was like, is this the Super Bowl? And I said, you can go. That was awful. (laughs) Awful. But yes, back then seeing that kind of beat down. Yeah. So as a Browns fan, did that kind of make your heart happy to see him look being completely befuddled on the sideline yes. with no answers? <laughs> yes. And I know it would make my father, John Noss, uh the first uh part one happy as well, because I know he ripped his heart out. So So um John Elway good. being that low, I get it, but it still doesn't make it feel any better. Right. So before we get into the top ten, we have one more. And remember, this is these are fan votes. These are people on the page voting for the people that they remember so fondly. Um, this guy should be one, two ish. Dan Marino. Yes, this guy. He held the NFL career record in touchdowns and yardage for many years. Um, he won a ton of games for the Dolphins, but never won the big one, which is why I think he's remembered down here. If he'd won one or two, I think he could be—he would probably be up higher in people's opinion. Like, they look back now, they see, oh, yeah, he was great in regular season, but in the big game, he couldn't do it. I think Dan Marino, and, and you and me talked about this when we kind of compared lists before, mm-hmm. Dan Marino almost slipped my mind and it wasn't because and i told him i was like he was in ace ventura too i, I, I love yeah. i love that movie and yes. so, you know how how does dan marino slip my mind but it was just the game mm-hmm. the the big game he did not fit and that's that's the same for jim kelly we were talking about that it seems like for only quarterbacks that is that's the, the, the measure he's yeah. a hall of famer nine-time pro bowler he i mean his stats rival mm-hmm. Any other quarterback across any other decade. Yep. He is, he was a prolific passer. He had a great scramble rate. So, I mean, he was on his feet well. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he, he was able to navigate a pretty uh, heavy defensive decade of the 80s. And yet, we almost forget about him. 
playing in that time because he just didn't finish the deal. Right. And that stinks, especially when you are as great as he statistically is. Yep. Statistically, he is one of the best. Yep. And But quarterbacks, man, if you don't finish, if you don't win the game, it's nothing. Which is funny because in contrast, when you look at baseball, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. You look at someone like Ken Griffey Jr., who's considered the best player in his era by far. Oh, yeah. And never won a World Series. Mm-hmm. But they don't. that doesn't hold that same merit in baseball as it does football. In football, you've got to win the championship in order for you to be, you know, get these accolades and to be remembered the certain way. So. And, and think about it, too. I mean, basketball is the same thing. I mean, how many LeBron, James, MJ, and I mean, I mean, objectively, Michael Jordan dominated the finals, but mm-hmm. LeBron, James, statistically, it, people argue that all the time because finals don't, they they don't carry the same weight for that a quarterback does to the Super Bowl. So right. If it even just winning one catapults you into a completely different sphere. Yep. And that's what's it's terrible when you put up stats like Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like I said in a, in an era where defense wins championships. That was the cliche, but it was true. Right. And that's what that's what hurts about Dan Marino. Yeah. So <laughs> we remember him. He's a great player. Mm-hmm. Um, he just could have won the big one. Wow. All right. So when we're going to take a brief time out here, when we come back, we're going to be talking about our top 10 and buckle up. Here we go. Montana. Hey, Marino. Great game, man. Oh, thanks. A draw play in the second quarter. Great choice. You make a choice because it feels right. Can I buy you one? The least you can do. Diet Pepsi, 100% Nutri-Sweet. Here you go. Don't drop it. 100% taste. See you, Dan. Joe, next year, I'm buying. Diet Pepsi, the one-calorie choice of a new generation. Number 10. So, again, like we mentioned before, these are not the opinions necessarily of management, <laughs> but of the fans. So, who you deem the, your 10 most favorite player of the 80s? Number 10 is Jim McMahon. Mad Mac. Yes. <laughs> he sucked. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. You guys are irresponsible with your voting. You have to be careful. This is a responsibility you must take seriously. Yes, like we do. Now, we're going to go back to he won the Super Bowl twice. Once? No, twice. Yeah. He was on two different teams. Well, he played for the Bears and won the Super Bowl. What other team was he on that won it? Well, now you got Now I got to go through and find it. Yeah, because if I, I'm looking at his uh, stats here. He didn't win one in San Diego, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Arizona. Uh, he might have been a backup in Green Bay. Back, gets backed him, up Brett Favre. He gets a it, ring, I guess. It gets a ring. And it's this quarterback thing. I mean, he's he's 195 pounds, so yeah. he's a tiny guy. Yeah. Um, he's a right-hand arm in an era. He was right not hand, mobile. Not mobile. Did not have a strong no, arm. No, no. And he was drafted first in the first round. In college at Brigham Young, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He got the NFL, and he's playing in Chicago in a very conservative run-first mm-hmm. defense. I mean, if you've got Walter Payton, what else? You know, 
Yeah. That's the way it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, he was um, – he never had a single season no. with more than 12 touchdowns. Oh, he had 15 one year. Uh, he never had a 3,000-yard season. Uh, he threw a, a decent amount of interceptions, usually as many interceptions as he did touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's remembered the way he is because he was so flashy. Like, Doug Williams won two Super Bowls in the 80s, but nobody remembers him because and, he wasn't flashy. And it's funny because the one year you, – you, the one year – if we want to say the one year he won the Super Bowl, you know, he was on two Super Bowls, right, so he gets yeah. two on well, pro football reference. But the one year he Well, didn't Bernie won. Kosar get a ring with Dallas? Uh, let's... Okay. God, you have to get into this already. I'm sorry. I, Bernie Kosar is painful. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the games that he started the one year, he was 11-0. and 0. Yeah. And that is the only time that he posted anything over 10 wins... Mm-hmm. In, a, in in a season he started right. as the quarterback. Yep. So he had one year of brilliance. And and fifteen touchdowns well, and eleven sorry, interceptions. One year of <laughs> one year of good play. And that's 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 a flash in the pan if yeah. we're comparing him to some people like John Elway and you know, these these Jim Kelly, these guys who had sustained excellent careers. He he did go to the Pro Bowl that year, eighty five. Oh, ooh wee. He did. Was it still in Hawaii? Uh, probably. <laughs> well, it was between, I don't know, it might have still been in Miami in those days. It's hard to tell. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm watching um, uh, Johnny B. Good the other day, uh, the movie, <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., uh, I love your brain sometimes. <laughs> thank you. So I'm watching. I'm 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 watching that that movie, which like you know I'll get in these moods. Like I'm in football movie mood right now. Like I'm watching the series of Friday Night Lights from yeah, beginning to one. end. So, but uh, I'm watching Johnny Be Good the other night, and Jim McMahon is mm-hmm. in that movie, and he plays the flashy quarterback. And another show that I love is The League. Oh, that's and he has a he has a bit part in one of those episodes. He's signing autographs, him and Taco going to business mm-hmm. together. So, you know, he's known for the flash, not for the play, which is how he made our list. So, you know. He's number 10 he's in number your hearts, 10. and that's all that counts, yep. right? Not in mine. <laughs> number nine. Number nine is a guy that had he had a better career in the 70s. By the time the 80s hit, he was on the downside of his career. Uh, 80, 81, he kind of was okay. 82, he fell off a little bit. 83, he was almost nothing. Terry Bradshaw, our favorite huckster. Man, you took my opinion. Dang Did I? I'm I, sorry. I, no, I was ready to serve it up. I was ready to get excited. Because first of sorry. all, he played for probably the most disliked team in my heart hmm. in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Um, so he naturally starts off with a negative two there. Yeah. I don't find his production in the 80s worthy of this. I mean, really, if we're talking about 70s quarterbacks, he is probably near the top, if yeah. not the top. Yeah. He won, uh, what's that, three Super Bowls in the in the 70s and uh, really recorded quite a prolific passing uh, uh, yardage mm-hmm. in that time. Right. 80-81, you're right, he had a couple of... Uh, in, in 1980, through 22 yeah. TD passes, yeah. 2,900 yards, very good. That they, they, um, They'd they won the Super Bowl that year. Mm-hmm. No, uh, 
Yeah, they they won it in 1980 after the 1979 season. I, I, it so, always is confusing. So, I get you. So, so the 79 season, 80, 81, not yeah. bad. But then 82, you know, he was on his way out. And yeah. then, you know... 80, he wasn't the starter by 83. Well, that, and it was also a short strike-shortened yeah. season in 82. And then by 83, he, he played in one game. He won mm-hmm. that game. So good for him. It's probably against the Browns. But, <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I just I just keep jabbing you. You're I such know. a nice guy. I, I just hit you with a right hook and a left cross. It's easy when the team color is also in the name. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> so Terry Bradshaw, yeah, uh, more of a '70s guy in my opinion. But you know, you guys vote him number nine, so you, he's number nine. You can have him. All right. Number eight. Number eight is your guy, Bernie Kosar. Oh, man. Number 19 from the University of Miami. You know, Bernie Kosar is one of those players that, for nostalgia's sake, when you look back on him, you just you smile, you think about the good times, and then when you look at the stat sheet, you're like, okay, it was all in my mind. Because Bernie <laughs> Kosar had... He was a, a winner. He was a winner when it didn't need to win. Like you don't you you go he was a he was a double digit winner as a starter once mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty six and you know he came in with all this promise it was you know the Cleveland teams of the late of the the mid to late eighties were legitimate they had legitimate players they they played in front of a gritty uh, packed stadium. I mean, th- we're not talking about the modern day Browns. We're talking about a, a real yeah, football, very team. working class, yeah. a blue collar town. And he, and he fit was, right he into was, that. Yeah, he he did. And especially coming from Miami, you know, there was always that little, you know, would he fit in with that? And yeah. and then, well, he grew up in northeastern Ohio. Yeah. So, and that's the team he grew up rooting for. So. I, I do think people thought, kind of saw that Hollywood part mm-hmm. of him, that Hollywood Florida yeah. part of him, yeah, um, and just kind of uh, kind of wondered. But I mean, he, he fit he fit perfectly. Uh, he was, I mean, he in spite of some of those Browns teams, um, I think he had a, a pretty decent career. Uh, I, I think, like in, in other parts of the country and other fan bases. Uh, he may be a trivia question. He's still beloved yeah. in Cleveland. Oh yeah, as, as, mm-hmm. as much of a drunken lush as he is, mm-hmm. and, and some of the things you hear about him now. Um, yeah, I I'm not a Browns fan, but I I like Bernie Kosar. Always have. I mean, he he threw for three thousand yards four different times, and and his completion I mean, percentages are some of the better. Uh, he was connecting with yeah. his with his targets and. Um, he was throwing touchdowns. I mean, he had 22 touchdowns in 1987. I mean, like, he he was and he had the talent to, I think, take them all the way, whether you call it the Cleveland curse, whether you actually believe if he had enough talent on yeah. both sides of the ball. That you, Wait, that's, And your best yeah. wide receiver yeah. is Webster Slaughter. <sighs> I love that name. Uh, yeah. What? It's just he wasn't surrounded with, like, a, a lot of the, the, the big weapons. He didn't have a... Jerry Rice or Mark Dupler or, or Mark Clayton or any of these guys that like Dan Marino had. I mean, he didn't have Rice, but but it know, is it is so guys. vintage Cleveland that their head coach during that time was Bill Belichick, <laughs> and Nick Saban was an assistant coach. Yeah, 
That's so Cleveland. Like, I mean, look. How, at, how I, did you get these two guys on your staff and be I mean, six and three, nine six and one, three and ten? How Cleveland is that? I mean, that town <laughs> loves. If the Browns won the Super Bowl, they wouldn't work for a week and a half. I mean, there would just be, a yeah, week and a half. I, it they might take the rest month. of the year off. I, it, that town, and when, I know my when the, family. When the Cavs won a few years ago. Oh, man. oh my god! I mean, that was the end of the drought. Yeah. If if but the Browns, man, the Browns are in the fabric of Cleveland. Yes. And if they won, I mean, there would be no party like it. Right. And you just think about the talent and you think about, uh, there's a couple guys on this list that we'll talk about further up. They had it. They just never could put it together. And Bernie Kosar, like I said, I look back on it and look at the stats. I'm like, he, maybe I'm thinking too fondly of him. You're right. He had some good years. That might just be what was around him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and, and I'll go on record to say this: if Uh-oh. if my 49ers can't win the Super Bowl, I would, and Cleveland is in contention, I'm pulling for them. Like I want to, like as a city, I've always liked the city of Cleveland. No mm-hmm. problems with them. If the Indians, if the Cavs, if the the Browns are making a push, I'm like, yeah, all right, I can get behind them for. You know, for this season, you know, kind of root them on, cheer them on. Um, so if, if my Niners are ever out of it and Cleveland's in it, uh, you know, I won't you know, buy Brown's gear, but, you know, I'll pull for him. So That's, there I we go. Appreciate that. Hey, and he stick, stick with it. <laughs> I'm with you. So, yeah, Bernie Kosar, uh, we like him. Um, just, you know, we, we wish he had, had that Super Bowl ring to, to hang on his legacy there, but uh, fair. You never know. Number seven. So, number seven. Y'all did it now. I'm not going to say that I'm mad at you, (laughs) but I am extremely disappointed. Uh, I had such high hopes and expectations for you. (laughs) And how in the world is Jerry Rice number 7 it's a it's a travesty this guy is the greatest wide receiver of all time not just now but in the future nobody is going to come close to hitting the records that that he that he has got over the course of his career i'm with you i was shocked chagrined and disappointed right along with you mm mm-hmm. mhm Jerry Rice sticks out to me as when you talk about football, when you talk about monolithic names, names that go, we talk about the Mount Rushmore of NFL players. Yes. Jerry Rice is on there. Yes. In that, in the wide receiver category, I mean, it is such a drop off in the 80s and such a drop off in general. Yep. I mean, he, three time Super Bowl. 13-time Pro Bowler. He was the Offensive Player of the Year, what's that, twice? I mean, he was dominant. And it was when he got space, like if you watch video of him, when he got space, there's a couple players that we'll talk about further up. When they got into open field, Mm -hmm. there was no stopping him. Right. And Jerry Rice was that. I mean, his nickname was World of, uh, was it, World of uh, uh, Flash 80. Yeah. I mean, it was just... It, he was gone. Yep. And he was quick. Uh, 200 pounds. I don't know how he's running that fast. <laughs> 200 <laughs> pounds, 6'2". But, I mean, the, the, the wide receiver position as we know it today was really crafted by Jerry Rice. Yeah. And there's no... 
I don't even think there's a, a contest. When we think about wide receivers pre this generation, we think about a different scheme. We mm-hmm. think about a different. Uh, they were used almost as. Um, I call it distraction weapons. I'm not sure if I'm using that right, but really they were they were used to pull the running game in the direction you wanted the quarterback. Right. So they weren't targets. They were sometimes passing targets, right. but they weren't a skill player like Jerry Rice was. Right. That now you could see kind of the evolution of the wide receiver because before Jerry Rice came along, like Lance Al- Alworth, uh, he held most of the the records Jerry Rice ended up breaking, and he mm-hmm. he played in the in the '60s, early '70s for the Chargers. He was he was the standard bearer prior to Jerry Rice. But you started seeing an evolution in in the wide receiver position, probably starting with Lance Allworth yeah. and going to like um, Lynn Swan, John mm-hmm. Stallworth, Drew Pearson, Tony Hill, these Cowboys receivers, mm-hmm. Ahmad Rashad, oh, like yeah, that, like mm-hmm. you start seeing these guys and the offense is starting to change. And then when Bill Walsh comes to San Francisco and stalls a West Coast offense, not only Jerry Rice. But every guy on the team is getting the ball and getting yards. I mean, Jerry Rice's um, 1986 season, uh, <laughs> 1,500 yards. Quarterbacks in the NFL back then were not throwing with their four receivers that that kind of, of yards. He has 207 career touchdowns. That's insane. That's 197 were rushing t- or yeah. uh, receiving, 10 were rushing. 22,895 receiving yards, 645 rushing yards. You don't think about that. They did a lot of in reverses mm-hmm. and crazy stuff. So he is the GOAT. Yes. Like, you know, there, there was some debate a few years ago was, you know, Tom Brady or Joe Montana the greatest of all time. Well, you know, with all the Super Bowl rings and now statistically, it's kind of, it's, it's more, you know, accepted that you can call Tom Brady the GOAT and, and, People go, eh, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot. But with Jerry Rice, the closest maybe Randy Moss, and he's yeah. not even close. I don't even think. Like, I think if I would have to look up his numbers, but I don't think he approached that. Twenty-two thousand yards is a insane number. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And if you think about it too, um, when you think about the evolution of the NFL in general, mm-hmm. the West Coast offense. You brought that up. Um, the the offenses in college were at a different and this when I was talking to you about kind of my history with the sport the, mm-hmm. the NFL for a long time was dragging behind mm-hmm. in terms of just the offensive schemes like the college was where these these coaches would you know spend a lot of time on these kind of wacky the wildcat was going on in there you know yeah. these weird these weird thing and that West Coast offense that um, there's different names for it but that was the NFL was still in like grind, grind the ball, grind yeah. the ball, grind it out, run Three it yards out. Three yards in the cloud yeah. of dust. They were playing Woody basically Hayes football. Yes, they were playing rugby. <laughs> yes. Essentially, they yeah. were just they were, and that having a target like Jerry Rice who mm-hmm. could move the ball with his feet had the hands that were basically glue. Yeah, and what well, he did, you stick them. Yeah, yeah. But, well, but but you know what? Other guys were other using guys. Too. I was going to say the stickums. All I remember over, like, seeing Fred Bolitnikoff play with the Raiders back in the seventies, and is like he's a white guy, and his hands has got like glue dripping off of them. Oh okay. man, the TV was too grainy to pick it up That's back right. then. Now, but, now on your HD TV, but, you can see everything. But here's the thing, though: you got the stickum, but then you got these modern NFL yeah. gloves that are basically yeah. the same thing. Like 
you can catch things that the, the bare hand can't catch. So, in contrast, like, let's take a look at the active players that are as close to j- getting Jerry Rice's records. The guy that's the closest is Larry Fitzgerald. He's got 120 touchdowns. He has 77 more receiving touchdowns to go to catch Jerry Rice. He has 17,083 oh, receiving not, yards. not even close. He's, he, he needs 5,000 yards, and he's been playing since 2004. <laughs> he does not have 5,000 yards left in him. Now, he may have a, a good year or two left. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like he has got the fountain of youth a little bit. I mean, he had 804 um, uh receiving yards last year, but he only had four touchdowns. He's only had a handful of two-digit touchdown years. So, not to knock Larry Fitzgerald, he's one of my favorite like non-49er players, class guy on and off the field. But, um, you know, Jerry, he's the man. No one's going to come close. And to give you even more perspective, because while you were saying that about the longevity, I mean, uh, Jerry Rice played till he was 42 years old. Mm-hmm. The same year that Larry Fitzgerald started, 2004, was yep. the, his last year. Yep. The bulk of those yardage, he only had three seasons with over 1,000 yards after 1996. So mm-hmm. everything else, all these monster numbers we're talking about, were from when he was age 34 and younger. Yes. So basically, take out the last eight years of his career. And yep. the whole before... I mean, that is just an incredible... I mean, uh, he he must have been targeted every other play, and and when you look at the tape, it basically feels that way. Well, I, just, I mean, if well, think about it. if you if you look at those teams he was on, like either had Roger Craig or like Ricky Waters playing running back. Those guys mm-hmm. were getting you know, thousand yard years. Yeah. Like Roger Craig would would get uh, his numbers were insane. Um, same thing with Ricky Waters. Same thing with John Taylor. So like these guys all had great statistical yeah. years, but Jerry Rice. Was there the whole time after Craig had retired, after Ricky Waters had come and gone to Philly, like um, John Taylor had come, came and went, Terrell Owens came and went. Like Jerry Rice was always the man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we could talk all day long about how awesome Jerry Rice is, but we don't have all day long. So he's number seven. Number seven under protest. Number six. Number six, I, I think he is on here because people remember him as being an awesome player. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry Sanders is who we're talking about. Uh, he actually only played one year in the 80s, which is 1989. But he had 1,400 yards, 14 rushing touchdowns. Uh, he was phenomenal. I remember watching him play at Oklahoma State and just... Like this, the guy's a human highlight reel. He yeah. does things with a football that I have never seen before. And I think it's funny when you look at '80s the running back position. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little thin sometimes. You can find yeah. some some standouts, but I think he stands out in terms of his evolution of that position. Right. And I think also too, growing up. In Detroit, towards the end of uh, the Barry era, they call it. Mm-hmm. He he still really liked in Detroit. Um, yeah. He, but the Either way loved it ended, or hated. <laughs> yeah, the way it ended is different than Bernie and uh, Bernie Kosar in, in Cleveland. But he, I told you before, I watched 
hours of Barry Sanders highlights, and he doesn't even look like he's playing the same game. He doesn't sometimes. look like he's he's running on the field. He looks it, like he's like an inch or so above the field. He does things to break ankles and and all those things you hear about. You don't guys don't do that. And and what's troubling is, and this is uh, I could get into a, a whole uh, Detroit Lions hour. <laughs> Detroit has this weird thing where they will have these generational talents. Mm-hmm. Barry Sanders, Megatron. Yes. I mean, these these titans who, who are statistic. Matthew Stafford, statistically, is a outstanding quarterback oh, yeah. who sits at Ford Field in Detroit and meanders along and hasn't won a playoff game his entire time there. They haven't won a playoff game. But he's great to have on your fantasy team. Yeah. and it's <laughs> But it's this Detroit thing that it... it they always just languish there, and they never leave. Megatron, Barry Sanders, Matthew yeah. Steph, they, they don't go anywhere. They right. retire. They're like, I'm done with this. I, I did yeah. 10 years in, in a Lions uniform. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And and Barry Sanders the same way. He ran for his second to last season. He rushed, I, I mean, it, these incredible stats. And, and he had, what, over 2,000 yards? Yep, 2,053 yards his last season. And that and was his... That was his career high. Oh yeah, he went out on top. Yeah, like <laughs> like he played during the nineties. Yeah, he was like th- the guy in the nineties. And we we were talking about running backs not not being like outstanding. What would happen is, is like a running back or two would would be good on a team for a couple years and kind of fade away. A couple more years on another, te- you know, it's just like there wasn't the consistency like you're getting now with like Ezekiel Elliott, yep. Saquon Barkley, mm-hmm. uh, Christian McCaffrey. These kind of guys, they are these are just we're in a rare time of great running back talent right now. But looking at Barry Sanders, to me, he is the best running back of all time. I I don't he, think he you is, can argue he that. He is not the NFL's all-time leading rusher. That's Emmett Smith. But I think Barry was better. In fact, I seen Emmett Smith on an interview not too long ago, and he he called Barry Sanders the best ever. It's which I mean, this is the all-time leading yeah. rusher, Sam. This guy's better than me. It's and again, he I associate Barry Sanders with the '90s. Me too. In terms of his era, right. and by that point, the defensive stance of the 80s was waning mm-hmm. um the offensive just push into the 90s was happening you were seeing the big the quarterback i call it the quarterback renaissance but like i said the dan marinos the the, the big name quarterbacks who yep. had the power arms and the the mobile quarterbacks were starting to become more of a thing that Opened up that running game a little bit differently. Like you're right, they would they would be there for a couple seasons and then they would drop off. Yep. And that Barry was a beneficiary of that change in the offensive. Uh, I guess I don't say scheme, but just a really the way the offense is kind of uh, set up. Right. And like I said, he's a good pick. Mm-hmm. You know, he just he falls into one year of the '80s. This is a statistically good year in the '80s, yep. but. Um, like I said, watching him, he, he was there, he made the Pro Bowl the second year I lived in, in Detroit, and then faxed in his retirement in 1998. That's, yes. That is one of the all-time great um, uh, take-it-to-the-man stories. Let's yeah. put it that way. The, uh, I'm well, out. I was stunned yeah. when that happened. Because, yeah. I mean, again, I was a couple of years into fantasy football at this time, and Barry Sanders was always like the first or second guy picked. Number five. Our number five most popular player, which makes me pretty proud right now, Ronnie Lott. 
San Francisco 49ers. This guy was phenomenal. Now, he's a defensive player, which you know we were talking about before, how it's a little surprising that a defensive player was ranked that high. Mm-hmm. But he was. Um, again, very deservedly so. He was one of the hardest-hitting players in the NFL. Um, statistically, you know, he ended up with um, 63 career interceptions, which is that's excellent, phenomenal. Yeah, you're not going to see guys. Guys don't have that many interceptions. Um, he had five touchdowns, so that, that part's good. But but he's remembered as part of that that core group of guys that that won the four Super Bowls for the Niners in the 80s and in 1990. Uh, so, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty awesome. And and I really think too, I, I I didn't notice this about I didn't know this about him. You know, is they really adjusted his position? Uh, I think it was it looks like eighty six. Mm-hmm. He he went out into the he became safety, right? And that's really where he took off. I mean, he was playing in the same amount of games for them, but his first year as a free as a safety that was when he recorded ten interceptions. So he really became yeah. kind of that deep ball, you know, a damper almost yeah. to uh, force. Well, Francisco. he was he was so quick, yeah. and the fact that he can cover so much of the field. Really, he they they found a way to use that to their advantage. And ever since then, I mean, his he statistically um, averaged better in that spot mm-hmm. uh, from oh, then yeah. on, and and really was an impact in, like you said, that core group that won those four Super Bowls. And when I think of the Forty ers I mean, the Forty ers are one of my quintessential '80s teams, just in the right. style of play, just in the. Uh, the players, the names. He's one of those names that comes up when you think of the, the 49ers oh, yeah. of that time. Sure. Um, and it goes right along with it. San Francisco was balanced on both sides of the ball. And sure. he was the he was a heart of that for, I think it was he was there for nine seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what helped them win those four Super Bowls, oh, especially yeah. in that era of football. Eight-time Pro Bowler, six-time first-team All-Pro, Hall of Famer, got the rings. Uh, my favorite Ronnie Lott story was he was he was in a game, and the, the tip of his finger got broke off. He just had him bandage it up. And he went right back in. They said, "Go to the hospital. We'll, we'll put the finger back on." He said, "I'd rather play." And he ended up losing. He's got a little nub on him right now. <laughs> and and I think that actually goes to kind of what turned the NFL from, you know, baseball was America's pastime, but the NFL really became the national sport in that era because players like him who were so, uh, they were almost superhuman. I mean, to right. break a finger off and then go back and play like football yeah. was gritty. These guys were superhuman, and the NFL smartly started to gear their advertising towards making these guys look like modern-day Olympians, yes. modern-day heroes. Which, which last week you had touched on just a bit, and, and now's a good time to elaborate. Yeah. NFL films, oh, they yeah. have done such a great job over the years at making these guys larger than life, making because there's only 16 games in a season, they're all so important, and... A lot of times, you know, you can think about like where you were when this game happened or when that game happened. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily even playoff games, but just 
normal, you know, regular season games. And you guys, you got guys like Ronnie Lott, who was kind of, I don't want to say the last of the Mohicans, but like he was the next evolution of that defensive back, that rough, hard-hitting guy that, um, again, as the NFL has become more of a finesse game and a lot more penalties, like a lot of the hits he delivered back then he probably would have been fine <laughs> oh yeah something. leading with the oh, crown yeah. yeah like yeah he's got like him yeah. and jack tatum and these kind of you know back in the 70s like like these guys were bruisers and that's really you know you you talk about you know cte and these other issues that the nfl's grappling with yeah which is strange because that's the brand they were built on and yeah. You know, you talk about your favorite story is him basically losing a finger and going back out there. But they, I mean, if you think about it, I couldn't, I know that NFL film song when I, I hear it in my head. Oh, yeah. And, and I've got the whole soundtrack. It, it It's ingrained in <laughs> yes. us. And it makes these games that only happen for a very short amount of time. I mean, baseball plays 162 games. The mm-hmm. NBA seems like the, the playoffs go on forever. Oh, it goes on. And, and NBA starts in November, and you're in middle end of June. Yeah. They're still playing, and they're still playing. Hockey's and and now yeah. with this COVID thing going on, yeah, the NFL or the NBA is still playing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I was tired of it before, and I, I and that's and somehow the NFL capitalizes on turning these small moments into, like you said, a battle of 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 Olympic Olympians, and yeah. And that's what's that's what they're struggling with today, honestly, because this was the era where they were still really branding this as the gritty working man's game. The yeah. game where these guys would go out, take these brutal hits, and then they would put this backdrop of music. I know I, I can't hum it for you, but I know if Rob you put out that you would know instantly what that that song was. Oh, and, <laughs> you mean this? So is that the song you're talking about? That is it. That is hits a spot, man. I I, I love those old NFL films yeah. music. If you get if you guys get a chance, get on iTunes or whatever, or even YouTube, and just just look up NFL films music. You guys want to go back in time? That'll do it. And it really shows how genius their their marketing was. I mean, they really cornered what they were looking for, which was just that. That strong, almost mythic battle, and man, that music like you—you you could imagine the battle. You want to put the pads on? Yeah, you want to no, go I, play? I would, go I hit would somebody. Go play. Go, go play. Go for the all Ronnie football. Lot. <laughs> Ronnie Lot. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, getting back to where we're at, uh, Ronnie Lot is our uh, number five uh, most loved, beloved player. Number four. Number four. Bo Jackson. Oh, Bo knows that he's too high. Yes, uh, he Bo, Bo's got to know. <laughs> Bo has got to know. It's kind of revisionist history. Yes. So we revere Bo Jackson as this awesome player, and he had moments. Yep. He had some outstanding moments. I remember a Monday night game. The Raiders were playing Seattle, and Brian Bosworth was going to tackle Bo. Bo ran over him and ran over like his chest on his way to the end zone. <laughs> like he was, he was a beast. And and Bo Jackson was that type of player that yes. that running up the wall 
uh, as a royal to to grab the the home run. Yeah, you know he he was that kind of guy. As a football player in the 1980s, in the professional sphere, he was average. Well, I I would call him better than average. I'd call him really good. I, he had some he had some he had some obstacles. So he he was playing baseball, and if I remember correctly, his Royals contract he could not go play yeah. football until he fulfilled his baseball season. Right. Like like in other words, if if say that the the Royals um had a monday off he couldn't just go play monday night football with the raiders mm-hmm. he had to wait until the season was over and if the royals went to the playoffs that extended it so when you see him playing shorter seasons that's kind of why so to to put him this high on the list though statistically it doesn't play out as a player great at auburn he set all kinds of yep. sec records mm-hmm. heisman trophy winner but and and I really do think too that when we when we think of Bo Jackson, you know, like we were saying, we think of the Bo nose uh, uh, Nike campaign. Yeah. ad campaign, and we we think of this incredibly gifted uh, player who could play in two professional sports and, and be. I'll give you above average. It, he was much better at baseball, though. Yeah, and baseball, I would say he was a great player because in baseball athletic giftedness can overcome because it's it's so limited in your reps you know in baseball you're not taking a hit each play you know he was playing a position in running back where Mm -hmm. he was taking hit after hit every time he touched that ball he was the focus of that play oh yeah and in baseball i mean he was playing outfield Mm -hmm. and he was or you DH, know, or he DH'd DH a lot too, and and so he really wasn't, you know, his physical gifts were much more on display and what provided that longevity for with he was with the Royals. Sure. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he makes the top ten just because he only played for four seasons, well, and he yeah. only made the. We were discussing this before we. He only made the Pro Bowl once, and he didn't start a game that year. Right, and that was eighty nine. It was that was nineteen ninety. <laughs> He had some some good rushing stats, but in comparison to his other um, contemporaries, I mean, really, he wasn't over a thousand yards any Never. season. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, he didn't start every game. Now, granted, again, his baseball contract trumped that, so he had some shorter seasons. Yeah, but really, his four year career. As a football player, which in modern day we'd think of this as completely opposite, but his career as a football player was almost secondary to his baseball career because it had to be. Right. And in his time in a Raider uniform, we think of almost as like, look at how great this is. Somebody can play two sports at once versus yeah. this is a excellent football player and an excellent baseball player. Yeah. So where where Deion Sanders, who yeah. came along a couple of years later, was the opposite, better football player than baseball player. Yep. But uh, that's another story for another decade. But just I would have loved to have seen what he could have done had he played an entire you know entire seasons and baseball was not a factor. I mean. On his career, his rushing yard average was 5.4 yards. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking, the, the benchmark of a quality running back is 4 yards per carry. He's getting 5.4 yards. In his three of his four seasons, he had the longest rushing yards from scrimmage 
in single plays. He had a 91-yarder in 87, 92 in 89, and 88-yard touchdown in 1990. So, like, he was a phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen, like I said, what could he have done had he played an entire season or multiple seasons and his career wasn't cut short. I think he, he probably could have been if he had stayed on that trajectory and these average. I mean, when look at it, he played in his four years, he played... He started in five games his first year, then nine and nine, and then none in his last year, which is, uh, I believe, when he got hurt and had to have the hip replacement and all of that. But um, when he was there, he was great. But, again, it's kind of hard to put him this high on the list when we only had a sample size. And and I'll I'll give you the physical giftedness in the football because when we were talking about how high he was, I went to his college stats. Mm-hmm. As a player at Auburn, he is otherworldly. Yes, he had four thousand rushing yards in four years at Auburn in the in a time when the SEC was not the game not the game we know of it today. Mm-hmm. It was he had um, I think we we found out he had one year uh, his senior year he had seventeen rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I mean that's he's averaging more than one a game. Obviously, he had the gifts, and I think you're right. I think two-sport athlete we think of as a such an incredible feat in and of itself, so we, we you do some revisionist history. Maybe those gifts that we see in the college stats mm-hmm. would have borne themselves out into the pro stats a little bit more had, we, had he played only one sport. Right. So, Bo, you were great. Would have liked to have seen what, what, what could have been. So, and with that, he was, uh, he was number four. Number three. So number three may be considered somewhat controversial. Very controversial. But not to me. Well, you know what? Our number three guy, we'll just allow him to introduce himself. Ever hear of Al Bundy? (laughs) Hoke High, All City, four touchdowns in one game? Yes, you voted your number three favorite football player of the 80s as Al Bundy. So we can thank my friend Willie Wall for for even nominating Al Bundy. And everybody else thought, that's funny. We're going to make Al Bundy our pick. Yeah, enough votes to get to number three. I, I, this is a travesty. I mean, this is an 80s football poll he played in the 1966 City Football Championship in Chicago, not in the 80s. Um, I can tell you've watched a lot of Married with Children. I just, I mean, this is, if we want to talk about best football players of the 60s, maybe. I mean, his stats might back that up. We're not talking about 80s past icons. He definitely fizzled out after the 60s. I, I just am very disappointed in hey. the choice. It's not an 80s choice. I mean, if we want to talk about... Was Married with Children from the 80s? He was a player in the 60s. Was this a TV show in the 80s? Uh, I just am not... I, not. It, it's a yes or no. Uh, yeah, fine. Okay, so we didn't know about Al Bundy, the football player, until the 80s. We, they did. They named the, the, He was a prominent 
football player they in Chicago. They named a field after I, I, him. I understand that, but that was that was his his notoriety in the '60s. But Bo Jackson never got four touchdowns. Ugh, that, that, that kind of performance transcends time and space. Uh, obviously, because he continued to talk about it well into the '80s, and that's why we're sitting here having this debate right now. It's Willie Wall's fault yes, that we're I, having this conversation. I, I think he ended up as a, as a shoe salesman somewhere in the suburbs. I don't know. Of Chicago, I, I think yes. He, I think he fizzled out after the uh, had a couple of JUCO um, offers. Really didn't do much after high school. Well, he got offered a, a job to quarterback the Browns, but turned him down. That's, so yeah, that's uncalled for. That's that. that's two minutes for you. <laughs> that's only seventy five other guys in the last ten years. So, all right, yeah, that's funny. Al Bundy being voted onto our list only on living in the eighties. Would we get a? a all these people, several people voted for Al Bundy. Several. So. <laughs> Dozens. Several. <laughs> Dozens, yes. So, yeah, we, you know, it's funny. We were going to scratch it off of here, and we decided, no, let's have fun with this one. So, yeah, number three was Al Bundy. Number two. Our number two player is my personal number one. And he, I, I think he's two instead of three because he threw five touchdowns against the Broncos in Super Bowl twenty nine. So five is, five is above four. Sorry, it is above. Sorry, Al. It is above four, and you know the only person to break that is Steve Young. <laughs> it, it's it's good to be a Forty Nine er fan. <laughs> it, it, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Oh, I, I I certainly am. But yeah, um, for many years, Joe Montana was considered the best of all time. Uh, statistically, Dan Marino better uh john elway peyton manning some of these other guys better but the guy won four super bowls and uh i i was one of the people that that fought up until the last couple years people would say well tom brady's the best ever i'm like no he's got to prove it to me a little bit more and he has i mean it's it's kind of uh it's kind of um common knowledge now that tom brady would be the best ever but for his era for, and then again, for decades after that, he was the standard quarterbacks were were compared to. Uh, there was no game he couldn't. I mean, of course, he lost some games, but but you never felt like you were out of the game as long as Joe Montana was your quarterback. Um, Hall of Famer, all around good guy, beloved in San Francisco and Kansas City. Uh, a lot of players go to other teams and just fizzle their career out, kind of hang up the spikes a little bit. But he had some pretty good productive years, brought the Chiefs to the playoffs for a couple years there uh, in KC. And, uh, he, you know, he is uh, one of my top two or three all-time favorite players. I, You know, I when I first sent you my list of players I, I thought about for the 80s, for mm-hmm. quarterbacks I had Joe Montana and then who cares under the other categories. That's, he's not lying. That's exactly what he had. And I think because, really, for me, he resembled everything about the evolution of the quarterback position as it as it became the game manager, where really he, I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite sports stories is Joe Montana in the huddle seeing John Candy in the stands. I was going to say that. that. I love that story because he was just this this cool cat who could take these situations and, and just he was not a, a, afraid of pressure he was not a, a, whether it be real pressure from you know uh the incoming uh defense 
or just, you know, game pressure in general. He was yeah. just a cool customer. And that became important as defense, as these schemes started to become more complex, as they started to broaden the field. You know, they say stretch the field and bring things down. Sure. The ability to line up and then see the game unfold in front of you became more important. So you had to really be able to block out the noise. And that that story of him just thinking about John Candy mm-hmm. in that moment of the biggest game, the yeah. Super Bowl, just is perfect in just how he approached the game. So, yeah. So if, if you guys... If you guys don't know the story or hadn't heard the story, um, Super Bowl twenty three, the 40- sorry Cincinnati fans, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again, uh, Super Bowl twenty three, the Niners are playing the Bengals, and and the Bengals pretty much controlled most of that game. You know, it was it was sixteen to thirteen, and um, the Niners were driving, and uh, a very tense moment. There were thirty four seconds left in the game. And they're in the huddle, and Joe Montana, because his team completely trusts in him, they're rallying behind him. Like if he has this panic mode, which which is one thing that I can I think that kind of separates him from a lot of other guys. Because mm-hmm. I mean, as much as I, I am a mark for Peyton Manning, love the guy. Um, you would see him blow up on the sidelines. Yep. Not not Joe Montana. So cool, cool guy. In it the huddle, he spies up in the press box. He goes, "Hey, is that John Candy up there <laughs> in the press box?" Now, there's celebrities all over the place. I guess maybe because of his rotund form, he could pick out John Candy. <laughs> he may have seen him in the first quarter, but thought, you know what? I might have to bring this up later. Oh wait. So he, he's and the guys all turn around and look. You see him looking in the in the film. You see him look up there. Yeah, it's 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 John Candy. So what does he do? He throws a ten yard touchdown pass to John Taylor. Kick the extra point. Final score twenty to sixteen. The Niners win the Super Bowl. Amazing. That that by the way is where he got the nickname Joe Cool. That's when they started calling him that. <laughs> and I never really called him that, but they you know they did. And I think. Like I was, like I was kind of alluding to before, I think that became a real hallmark of him as a player is just that ability to not let the moment overtake him and then the teams around him. Because you know, there we were talking about West Coast offense and just you know the the changing NFL, whether it be the late '80s or the early '90s. He he re- retained a lot of his game, mm-hmm. and he retained a lot of the trust of of these this rotating cast that happened around him and that oh, was yeah. and that was i mean if we look at uh, the 1989 he had a 70% completion rating with 3500 yards it's amazing that is in today's by today's standards that would be considered un, all, nearly unheard of i mm-hmm. mean to complete 7 out of your 10 passes you have to go nearly perfect some games mm-hmm. i mean and the ability for you to not have any wa- any ability to waver in those big moments that that is almost now required we expect that out of our quarterbacks we yes. expect them to be leaders and we expect them to be um you know we have quarter halfback fullback and that just comes from the old you know yep. names of the positions but now the quarterback is the center it's the center of the whole universe, and we expect that. Yes. When our quarterbacks aren't like that, we're like, why isn't this guy a leader? But Joe Montana <laughs> set that standard. Yes. And and that's how, again, in this time when the, the NFL was turning from a, 
it wasn't regional, but it definitely wasn't what it is today. Right. He was what before Tom Brady, he was what every quarterback should have and uh, you know was aspiring to be. Right. And four Super Bowls, Hall of Fame, first ballot. I mean, just it, there is no superlative you could use on his time in San Francisco and in, in Kansas. I mean, he was uh, pretty solid in Kansas too. But just like I said, he, in terms of 80s quarterback and even quarterbacks generationally, there was very few that approached him as a as a talent. Yep. So Agreed. lucky for you as a 49ers fan, you got to see that for. Oh, years, and so. it was and it was it was wonderful. Yeah, so those were great years. So yeah, uh, there's a uh, hard to argue putting him high on the list. So number two, Joe Montana. Number one and the number one player as voted by you, sweetness, Love Walter Payton. He was phenomenal. It would be hard to. Uh, even though I think Joe Montana is the premier player of the 80s, there's a lot that could be said about Peyton being number one. But uh, I, I think he'd be my personal number two. But in this case, uh, number one, Walter Peyton. I, I think that you could make the argument for the two of them in terms of how they affected the offenses they sat in. Like Joe Montana, obviously we're talking about how he defined the offense. I mean, Walter Payton also defined the offense and, and was a, a reason why the bears were successful. We think of the bears in the eighties in terms of their defense and in terms of, you know, Dick, you know, that's the, you know, the coach, but Walter Payton, um, really, define the running game and set the standard for you know we were talking about Barry Sanders as probably one of the best of all time he was in the 80s Walter Payton when you watch highlight reels very similar just almost playing a different game almost able to um find the gaps in some of these defenses and and just create space yeah create space where there was none and there's a couple of times where I was watching and this is in a time where I mean he was drafted in 1975, so he yes. was not when it when the 80s rolled around he was not he was already I think 80 he was 26. Yeah. So by football standards he was already older, and he started to reach his his zenith in 80, 81, 82. He was really, really uh, the definition of the Bears' offense and the one of the few reasons why they won that Super Bowl, the only one they won in that decade. Yeah. I back in back in those I remember Walter Payton early in his career my my friend Jim Fournier that I grew up with that was his favorite player mm-hmm. and I believe he's the one that nominated him here and it is he was incredible he played from 80 from 75 to 1987 in those early years with the Bears he was mm-hmm. the offense like they didn't have the weapons they had later um what could they have done if they had a better quarterback maybe one two or three super bowls i don't know but um up until like his last year being 87 in 1986 he ran for 1300 yards yeah so he i mean he was really good for a lot of for a long time and the fact that you know he passed away at such a a younger age Mm -hmm. uh, is very sad too um, I, I do love that they give the Walter Payton Man of the Year award everywhere, every year, to the player that does the most good for their community, and which really defines him as a man. You know, mm-hmm. we we think about him as a player, 
And I, one of his nicknames was the Dancing Bear, mm-hmm. just because like Barry Sanders, the way he would he would weave in and out of traffic and and just look like he was gliding versus you know running. Um, you know, you can't say enough about. Um, what an awesome player and an awesome man that Walter Payton was. And now, glad you brought that up. That the the Man of the Year award is is given to, I think they call it the humanitarian of the league, the person who right. they see do the most community outreach. And he really, I mean, for a time, I mean, we're talking 1975, so we're talking about a time when the NFL was still struggling with you know, some of its players having a hard time in some of these cities that they were playing in. And he, Chicago really took to him as a player. Oh yeah. And he became, I mean, he went to college in Jack at Jackson state. So he was not from, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a small black college down South. Yeah. He wasn't from there. He's from Mississippi. Um, but he lived in Illinois till the day he died. He died in Illinois. So he became as much a part of the bears and that shows how much his, his community involvement became a hallmark, just as much of of, of his on the field as it was off the field. Mm-hmm. And that Walter Payton Award is how they, you know, kind of differentiate from the on the field, off the field uh, humanitarian efforts that their players. You know, you see sure. YouTube videos of those players going into the toy store and buying, you know, the whole store out for all those kids. That's yeah. That's that's what uh, that legacy that Walter Payton brought forth. I mean. It's it's sad, like you say. He died. He was forty five years old. Was it brain cancer? Is that uh, what he died? died I didn't see that. I believe it was. Um, But he was only forty five. But like I said, he was he was in Illinois. That became his home, and um, it it is uh, it is one of those rare, especially with you know what's going on now. One of those rare good stories about a a, a town that really took to somebody who and, uh, and. Vice versa, a man who really took to his town and and uh, became a member of that community. Hmm. Uh, it was he died of a rare liver disease. Oh my! And and bile duct cancer. That's what it was. So November ninety nine is when he died. So yeah, uh, he again great player, great ambassador to the NFL, and you know can't say enough enough good things about him. So that, that wraps up our top ten list. It took us two weeks to do it, yeah. but daggone it, we did it. We And we worked the whole two weeks, we all sure seven did. days. We, <laughs> we have been tirelessly, we've not showered or shaved or brushed our teeth this whole time, and it's been crazy. But So being such a big football fan like I am, again, fantasy football, I, I love fantasy football. I've been playing in leagues. Uh, my first... Uh, experience in fantasy football was in 1994 and in 1995 I won my first GFL championship I've won three GFL championships and multiple other I've got my fantasy football trophies on a shelf here it is an impressive sight to (laughs) behold for all those at home not watching live on TV yeah and now being on and living in the 80s we don't we've never talked much about football let alone fantasy football which is another great passion of mine and um, I would show you the championship belt that I possess, <laughs> that I earned, with probably the greatest team of all time. So be that as it may. John also, big fantasy guy. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to do, if it were the 80s, and we were sitting here doing a fantasy football draft, it would be great if we would have had like a, a 
team of like 12 yeah and just got really deep in some of these positions who would have been like the 12th best tight end oh my gosh golly so (laughs) anyhow so uh because i'm the gracious host uh what we're gonna do we're gonna uh go we, we need a quarterback two running backs two wide receivers and a tight end so we won't go through an entire roster but we'll go through those positions and we'll do it in a snake style draft so you get the first pick, I'll get the next two, then you'll get the next two, and back and forth, okay? So, um, John, uh, who would you, you... You go ahead, first round pick. Go. Um, with the first pick, um, the Gary Busey's hairlines will be selecting Dan Marino. Dan Marino, good yes. choice. Yes, good choice. I, I really think that... I, I like Joe Montana, but I think Dan Marino's going to fit well into the scheme we're putting together uh, in the Fighting Buseys, and I think that we're we're primed and ready to go this year uh, with a uh, more uh, vibrant and, and high-flying offense, and I think Dan Marino's uh, uh, arm will help us in that. So, uh, Dan Marino. Okay. Well, the Yard Jockeys are going to pick uh, Jerry Rice as the first pick overall. Because, you know, he has no peers. <laughs> Dang it. And, um, and then I want to, right after that, I want to go quarterback, and I want to go with Joe Montana. Okay. All right. So, um, next two picks for me, I'm going to use one of my running back slots. I am going to take Walter Payton off the board. Um, and then I'm going to need somebody to catch um, just as much. So, man, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I, I'm going to go with Steve Largent. Uh, I, 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 I was thinking that would slide under the radar maybe a little bit. I was, I was kind of hoping for him. I but know. Good pick. I, good I, pick. I gotta have somebody for Dave Burrito to throw it to. <laughs> that, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh man. Okay. Well, I want to go running back. Uh, actually, I want to take back-to-back running backs. And these two guys, neither one were on the list. Uh-oh. Surprisingly, I'm going to go Eric Dickerson and Marcus Allen. Oh man, Marcus Allen. Oh. Dang it. That was my under-the-radar pick. What, Marcus Allen? Yes. yes. The t- uh, ooh, okay. The uh, Fighting Buseys are going to draft... Uh, I'm going to take Bears defense. I'm going to choose the 85 Bears defense. Going defense. Yes, defense wow. wins championships. Huh? They were Not number good. one in yards, in yards allowed. They were number... Uh, one in time of possession. We're going to possess the ball. We're going to um, stop you from uh, letting Joe throw it all over the place because as long as it's out of your hands, you can't throw it. Good luck. So, um, so I'm going to take that off the board, and then I'm going to take Ozzie Newsome off the board. Oh, the Wizard of Oz I, is coming. I, I thought. With oh, me. I would see. I didn't see you picking a defense. I thought Ozzie would slide down to me. He's my probably my favorite '80s tight end. So, wow. That's for you, Dad. Wizard of Oz. Okay. You see, you screwed me up on that uh, 
Ozzie Folks, Newsome the gears are there. turning over at the uh, <laughs> for yard, yard jockey, jockey headquarters. headquarters. Okay, <laughs> the war Piece room is a mess. You know what? <laughs> There's will, paper flying. <laughs> I, I will take I will take the tight end that was statistically better than Ozzie Newsome, oh, and I will take Kellen Winslow. Yeah. And uh, my second wide receiver, go Bucks, Chris Carter. Yeah. Oh man, you with the uh, off the board selections. That's right. You know what? I can't believe these people didn't pick these guys. Oh my goodness. Ozzie Newsom was a tough one for me to see let let go. And all right, so so I got two left. Need a wide receiver and another running back. You also need a kicker. I, dang it! Laces out, man. Laces out. <laughs> Laces. Did you take Earl Campbell? No, I did not. Okay, Earl left Campbell's him, coming for you. Coming with me, so Earl Campbell's coming off the board. Um, his nickname's the Tyler Rose. Yes, um, that's a California. Nice... He played football at the University yeah. of Texas. I was going to say the that's... Houston Oilers. Came from Tyler, Texas, of course. And then wide receiver. I'm going to go with like my like fifteenth pick, which would be Art Monk. Art Monk is actually a very good pick. I, I mean, it's like a nice number four. But See, he's I, number two. For me. I, <laughs> I, I I I looked at my uh, at the stats after I picked Chris Carter, and he didn't really hit his stride to the '90s. But you know, when you've got Joe Montana instead yeah. of um, who is who is a Tommy Kramer? I can't remember who who the uh, quarterback was for the vikings back in the late 80s but uh, if he had montana thrown to him he might have not quite jerry rice numbers but he probably would be up there pretty pretty good so um that leaves me i've got to come up with a team defense and i want to go with the new york giants Ooh, um, that wasn't in my board that wasn't on my board at all yeah they Do you want to pick a year they had a stifling defense um uh I took a year. I'm just offering it to you. Okay. In fairness, Paul um, Tagliabue is at the podium. They had some. They had some good teams. I will have to say, '86. Okay. Yeah, because it. Huh, I I kind of guessed at that one. They they won the Super Bowl that year. So that's helpful. Uh, yeah, it is helpful. <laughs> Guess who they beat? The Broncos. Well, they wouldn't have beat the they Browns because the they were in the Super Bowl. No, they no they weren't. And then my last pick, I got to pick a kicker. I'm, I'm right. I googled '80s kickers. That- Morton Anderson. That's who I'll pick. Okay, and I'm going Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, gotcha. a Pittsburgh institution from '82 to '94. Your favorite team. Great. <sighs> I'm. I guess I'm hitching my wagon to that. So, <laughs> all right. So I, I think we probably got pretty good teams. We probably meet in a championship. Yep. So, uh, and I like my chances. With with Eric Dickerson and Marcus Allen, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, same team. Yeah, I, I can I can be a little weaker at my second wide receiver spot. Kellen Winslow is a beast. So yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm happy just, with my team. I'm just saying, you were singing about Dan Marino and how underrated he was until all of a sudden now he's on the opposing team. But I, you know what? He's still good. Yeah. He he's going to have some great fantasy points. But uh, as a team overall, mm-hmm. my guys will have to work double time to catch up with them. Crazy Dan Marino numbers, but you know when you get Kellen Winslow, who had three thousand yard seasons in the eighties and uh, was just a, a beast to try to tackle. 
So he would have he would have put up some great points. So notables left off the board. John Elway off the board. Barry Sanders left on the board. Yeah, um, that's if if Sanders had a longer eighties yeah. tenure, I would have picked him as my first running back. But you know, I was the same way. Felt cheating. Felt yeah, like he was cheating. So yeah, that's that's our fantasy team. So did, is there anybody of note that you can think of that we left off of? Our, you know, either the top ten list or our Pro Bowl list, or, you know, our, our fantasy team list here. You know, when I was looking up just the teams of the '80s, I, I really, I think we hit almost every, you know, big part of that era. I mean, we we listed the names that we really think of when we're talking about '80s NFL football. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when we're thinking about the the hallmark teams of that, whether it be the Raiders, the Bears, the Forty ers the Giants. I, I on my list, I don't have anybody missing. Yeah. So for me, and and this one's, uh, this is I I will take this one personally. Oh. Just be and and not I mean mainly because I'm a fan, but um, this guy is not in the NFL Hall of Fame. And he's been on the ballot several times. Uh, not, and it's not just because he plays for my team or played for my team, but Roger Craig had an amazing career. He had 8,100 total yards of rushing and 2,500 receiving yards. He had, um, uh, let's see, 56 rushing touchdowns, 17 receiving touchdowns. Uh, he was on three. Uh, Super Bowl four. I'm sorry, four. No, no. I'm sorry, three. Three Super Bowl champions, and um, he was he was the first alter back. He was the first hybrid guy. Paid paved the way for the Marshall Fox and mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey's of the world. Like he was the guy, and uh, the fact that they leave him off year after year is a travesty. So, um, I did a little bit of digging on. Uh, one of the a lot of I used today was Pro Football Reference. If you Me ever too. like a, a website, they are a great website. I mean, you can oh, dig if, in. If you're into stuff. stats, yeah, you want to compare players. Yeah, there's where to do it. And one of the one of the uh, ones they have is Hall of Fame Monitor. He is 24th all time in terms of their Hall of Fame ranking in mm-hmm. running backs. Yeah. And the average score he's he's under he, he has a Hall of Fame score of 77. And they say their average is 106, but the lowest score mm-hmm. is 52. So he is out of the Hall of Fame, way above some of these other players that got in. Didn't and actually it, got in. I mean, yeah, I, I think of Terrell Davis. Yeah, yeah, great running back for the Broncos. Career cut short because of injury. He didn't have the career Roger Craig did. Yeah, he was he was in the top ten of his position. If uh, like there's a fantasy thing on here, he was in the top ten of his position three times, uh, four times. Um, he was. That's actually, I. Uh, that's a good, a good point when I'm looking at just in terms of how he was as a player of of that time. I know you're a fan. Yeah. I would. I'll. Uh, I'll tuck you in. I'll read you a bedtime story. I'll give you the. I'll give you the good news. I yes. agree with you here. Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think the. I think he's a little bit underappreciated. He went to Nebraska too. Yeah, uh, Nebraska in the eighties. I mean, come on, it's like they were machines. Yeah, so that's back that's when Nebraska weird. was good. <laughs> yeah, I, that's weird. 
yep. why why he would be left off. But so yeah, that's that's kind of my own thing. I've been campaigning for him for years. Mm-hmm. So hopefully one day they'll they'll recognize you know the player he was and and enshrine him like he should. Um, I know for a while like Jerome Bettis was snubbed. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that deserved to be in there, but for years he didn't do it. Eddie George is another one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not just because I'm a Buckeye fan, but I mean the dude had like, like eleven thousand rushing yards. Have you eaten at his restaurant? I have. It's pretty good. Very. I got good. one at the airport. I I eat it anytime I'm there. Pretty nice. Good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so um, I think we have exhausted '80s football. I, I think, think we so. have deflated it. You're welcome, Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go John I wanted to thank you for being part of the magic here and for making this a very fun show to do and hopefully our listeners have as much fun listening to it as we did putting it together thanks for having me it was a lot of fun and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it it was, uh, it was a little bit testy at times when the poll got a little bit away from us but it's I think not our, it's not my fault yeah, you didn't recognize I... the greatness of Al Bundy <laughs> I'm sorry. But I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was uh, had a lot of fun. All right, great. Well, hey, guys, uh, tune in next week. We'll come back with some sort of awesome show for you <laughs> with an unknown guest, unknown topic. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get one secured, but it, it's it's a little rough right now. So uh, we, will, we will let you know <laughs> what happens. Keep an eye on the Facebook page and so forth. So until next time, uh, you guys take care. Thanks. Yeah.